Well, good morning, everyone. I am Derek Wright. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and I am super excited this morning to share with you what God has put on my heart and uh, I believe a message for you. Uh, I was just thinking, when I was in high school, I was, I was in track, and I was a sprinter, and I did uh, five events. Uh, you could only do four per meet, but I, was, I could do five, and before every event, I remember vividly how I would feel. Just before the event would happen, I, uh, my hands would get clammy, and I could feel and hear my heartbeat. Um, there's this excitement and this anticipation, and I just couldn't wait to, to get the race done. And once, once I got into the, the starting blocks, the warm-ups come off, this, you get in the starting blocks, Everything else was quiet. It was, it was just calm. It was quiet. I didn't fo- there was no focus. It was, I couldn't hear people. I couldn't see people. There was just a focus on my job, and that was to run in this straight line, run in this lane, and hopefully get to the finish line first. I was thinking about this this morning because I get those same feelings every time I have the opportunity to speak. My hands get clammy, I can hear my heartbeat, I can feel it, and there's this excitement, this anticipation, like, and I just want to get this started. And I love worship, but I just want to get this thing going. And so I, I'm excited to, to share with you this morning on First Peter. This is our, our third week, Precious Faith, this morning called to holiness. And uh, I don't think I've read First Peter this much in my entire life. I've read through the, the five chapters many times. I've read through chapter one more times than I can count. And I'm super excited about the things that God has just revealed, even in my own heart, that I get to share this morning and just talk about what Peter's heart, his desire was uh, for us. So we know, uh, Pastor Tom shared three weeks ago, we know the book of Peter is written by Peter. He, he says that. I, he is Peter. He is the apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's speaking to the elect exiles. Those are the churches uh, that are scattered all around uh, what we call uh, Turkey today. And he calls them elect exiles. Elect means chosen by God, and exiles means called to live differently in the world. And even though many of these people were living where they had always grown up or a majority of their time, he's calling them the elect exiles. He calls them many times throughout 1 Peter, foreigners, aliens, or exiles, because they're called to live differently in the world. And so we can relate to this today. We're chosen by God. We're called by him to live differently in the world. We're set apart to shine the light of Jesus that's in us on those that are around us. And so everything in Peter's life at this point is wrapped around uh, his relationship with Jesus. His, he's confident in who's, who he is. He's, his identity uh, is, is secure. It's found in his connection and his relationship with Jesus. Peter is, is in this great place with who he, who he is and who his father is. And so um, I, I was thinking about, about Peter. Peter was, was Simon. Simon was one of the first disciples that was called, according to Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke. And, and he was Simon. 
And the one story that really stuck out to me was Matthew chapter uh, 16 and 15. It's the story where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he just poses this question. And he says, who do they say that I am? And all the disciples begin to chime in. Well, some, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're Elijah and some say you're Jeremiah and some say you're one of the other prophets. And then he looks at them and he says this, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And it says that Simon said, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here we have Peter. He's writing this book, and he says, I am Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter, the rock. Peter doesn't define himself by what he used to be or who he used to be. He doesn't define himself by the name that his parents gave him. He doesn't define himself what he, by what he used to do. He was a fisherman. He didn't design himself or describe himself or identify himself with um, his heritage or his relationships or his failures. And if you know Peter, Peter had a lot of failures. Peter opened up his mouth more than he should have. Peter did things that he just shouldn't have done. But he doesn't define himself by that. He doesn't get his identity from any of that. He says this, I know who I am because I know who I spent my life with. I know who has spoken into me. I know who's called me and my identity is in this. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I know who I am. And I only say that this morning because I felt strongly as I was studying that somebody needed to hear this this morning, that your identity is not in who you are. Your identity is not in who, who named you. It's not in where, what job you have, the position you have, or the, the loss of your job. It doesn't have anything to do with your relationships. It doesn't have anything to do with what you've done or how you've done it, what you thought or what you said. Your relationship is defined by the one who's called you and the one who's created you, the one who's given you a plan and a purpose. Your identity is in Jesus. To look forward and to look at that. And Peter said, I am, I am Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he knew who he was. And I love that. You know, it's such a great reminder for us because we get caught up in the situation that we're in and right here, right now. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. We get caught up in what's going on today or what the news has said today or what's going on tomorrow. And Peter's saying, look, I want you to look further than that. I want you to see beyond that, and I want, to, I want you to see who you really are. And so these first five chapters, these five chapters in the, in the book of 1 Peter call us to a life of hope and a life of holiness and into this humility to trust God in everything that we do. So let's look at this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Yeah, we're still in 1 Peter chapter 1. I was thinking, man, we could probably be in 1 Peter for, for several months. We're not going to do that, or are we? Uh, but we're going to look this morning at 13 through 16. And to be honest with you, each one of these verses could take an hour. But we're going we're gonna to get through this this morning. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you again for this, this letter. I thank you for what you are speaking through Peter to us. That God, you have called us. You've chosen us. You have, you've lavished your grace on us. And you've prepared us for something far greater than the day that we're standing in right now. So Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Would you speak clearly? And Lord, would you change our way of thinking? Would you change our attitude? Would you help us to align ourselves with your word and your truth in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're gonna start right away. It says, therefore, I learned this very early on in, in Bible school and throughout ministry. When you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? And Peter is saying, hey, because of these things that I've just mentioned, because of these things that I've just shared with you in the first 12 verses, this is what you're to do. What does he tell us? He tells us you've been chosen by God. He says that you have been given a living hope. He says that you have been uh, given an inheritance, this incorruptible inheritance. And even though that there's going to be suffering and there's going to be some hardships there is going to be great joy because of the future and the blessing and the grace that we have because of salvation. So Peter has set us up for this point. And he says, here's where we're going. And, and Peter kind of separates it in three things. We're going to look forward. We're going to glance back. And then we're going to look up. And so let's get started by looking forward. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a command. Look fully, hope fully. And it's emphasized by fully. Some of your versions will say completely. Hope completely on this thing, on, on the grace of God and the revelation that Jesus is coming back. Your focus, your attention should be on that, not on your circumstances, not on what's going on. To set our hope is to believe the good news, is to believe the message that Peter is, is portraying to us to, to uh, show us that, hey, this might be tough. Even right now, in our circumstance, in our situation, some of you, this is tough. This is hard. We've, been, we've had some things taken away. We've been told to do certain things that we don't like or, and all of this. And we're, we might feel like, hey, I feel a little bit trapped and Peter's saying, don't look at this, look at what's coming. Look, at, look ahead, look to the future. That our faith and our hope are in God. In verse 21 of this same chapter, it says this, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Peter's reminding us there is something coming. There is something in the future. There's something ahead that you need to put all your attention on. See, we all, we all hope for something. And it's not a sin to hope. It's not, but we all hope in something. The problem is, is where we really align our hope with. Like, I, there are weddings that are happening all over, or should be happening all over, that have been uh, put on pause, and there's been venues that have had to cancel. There's been some things. People are hoping that they're going to be able to get married. People are hoping that um, they're going to be able to graduate. There are people that are hoping to be able just to have picnics again and to see family again. You know, I'm hoping to go uh, hiking and camping with a couple of my friends and just get out into the wilderness uh, later this summer. These are hopes, things that we hope in. Our son graduated on Friday from the University of La Crosse. 
And for the last month, he just had a lot of hope. Man, I hope I can finish my senior paper. I, I hope I can finish my thesis. I hope, I'm just hoping for May 15th when I'm done with college. We put our hope in things. And Peter's reminding us as believers, put your hope in the grace of God and the return of Jesus. Put your hope in something that is bigger and, and than what we see or what we want to experience. Put your hope in God and his return. I feel like I missed a Lord of the Rings reference right there in the return of the king. Uh, hope will never be found if we look horizontally. If, if, if all we're doing is hoping because, hey, I'm hoping for this or that, I'm hoping that graduation, I'm hoping for this wedding, I'm hoping for this, if that is where our hope extends and that's as far as it goes, we will never find true hope. True hope can only be found vertically. And this is the message that Peter is portraying and that he's giving out. There is a living hope and he is returning. Look there. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope, he's the God of hope, he's found vertically in relationship, may the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is found in Jesus alone. And that, that is what Peter is saying. Look, there is, you need to hope fully, completely on God, on his return. This is, is why we live. This is why we were created. There's things that we need to do day by day. There are things that are going to get in the way each and every day, but keep your focus and your attention on ahead. Verse 8 of the same chapter, uh, 1 Peter 1, eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We don't see him. This is what Peter is saying this. Look, I have I've been with Jesus from the beginning. I was called by him. I, I, I was there when he did the miracles. I was there when he healed my mother-in-law. I was there when he raised the dead, the dead. I was there. I was there when he was crucified. I was there when he rose from the dead. And I was there when he ascended. And he's saying, you have not seen him yet. But you love him. You haven't seen him yet, but you believe in him. And Peter's saying, keep your eyes on that. Because you will see him. He is coming back. Keep your eyes on him. So I mentioned that I was a sprinter and and sometimes I can have I can be opinionated. People who know me, sometimes I I will I will push my opinion. And I always made fun of long distance runners. I just didn't understand it. Why why would you spend 2 hours running doing nothing? Like that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of other things, a lot more fun things that you could be doing than running 2 3 500 miles, whatever. I'm fun country. You just got to look for more fun. Uh, and and <laughs> something happened in the early 2000s. Um, several people here, our worship leader uh, at the time was Brian Freeberg. He, was, he got some guys together and they were going to run the Chicago Marathon and I was making fun of them. I was just like, why? Why do you want to get up at 4 dark 30 to go run and then start your day. It just didn't make sense. And uh, Pastor Nate was a part of that group. And uh, so I'm kind of making fun of it. I remember it was a Wednesday night. And uh, I can't remember if, if Nate, if you had gotten hurt at this point and weren't going to do it. But I, I'm making fun of them. And these guys are like, dude, you can't run three miles. We're running three miles tomorrow. I'm like, of course I can run three miles. But why? 
And they're like, come on, it'll be fun. We can just talk. And, it just, and I find myself getting up in the morning and running three miles with these guys. And it was fun. I mean, we were talking and laughing and finished. We finished and we went. He's like, well, we're running five miles tomorrow. Do you think you could do five miles? And, and Brian Freeberg conned me into running a marathon. I mean, he just, he just worked his thing. And I found myself running a marathon in 2004. 26.2 miles. Crazy. He actually conned me into doing it another year after that. that was cr- anyway, it doesn't matter what kind of race um, you're in, whether it's sprinting or it's a marathon. When you race, your goal is to make it to the finish line, to finish that race and to, to accomplish that, to, to, to get there and receive the reward. You keep your focus on what's ahead and not only on what you're feeling at the moment or what you're going through. And uh, in a marathon, your, your focus is on the end, but you're also listening to your body. You're, 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 you're trying to feed it the right thing so you can go. You're trying to get carbs in there. You're trying to do, you, you, at times you, you keep away from the distractions. And then there are times where it's like, you feel like I, I can't make it. And then all of a sudden you start listening to the people cheering you on and, and push and, and you find, yourself, I can, you find yourself saying, I can make this. I'm looking to what is coming, not where I'm at. And, and you guys, life is like a marathon. Every morning, it's as if we're putting on our running shoes and, and we're going and our focus is on what's coming in the finish line. Sure, we have to focus on what's happening today. Sure, we have to look at what things are going on. But that's not the goal. That's not the end. That's not where we stop. We keep looking ahead and keep going. Because Jesus is at the finish line. And that's where we set our hope on. And Peter gives us two two ways to stay focused in this first verse. The first one is prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Get ready. This is, as, this is what it, it represents today. It's like it's, he's saying, pu- pu- pull up your sleeves, push up your sleeve, and let's get ready to work. Let's get ready to do something. Let's prepare ourselves for what's coming. The original language is much different. The original language says this, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I don't know about any of you this morning, but I can guarantee you this about me. I have never thought or said the words, gird up your loins, never. Uh, It's never crossed my mind. It's just not part of our culture. It's not part of what we say. If I were to say that, if you were to say that, people would think you're pretty nuts. Like, what are you talking about? Get away from me. Right? But this is very common language to, to Peter's audience, to Peter. This has, been, this has been verbiage that's been used. You can go all the way back to Exodus. Um, and, you, and I'm going to read a verse here in Kings. This is, this is talking about gathering up uh, your robe, your gown, your garment, and tucking it into your belt, freeing up your legs for work, for fighting, and for running. 1 Kings 18.46, great example. It says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garments, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is... This is a, a poem. Elijah has spoken with Ahab. He's told him what is coming. And Ahab is in his chariot, his horses. And he goes, he takes off. And it says, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Elijah. And he reaches down and he grabs his garments. And he tucks them in his belt, freeing up his legs. And he runs to beat Ahab. And this is what 
Peter's talking about. I mean, you need to imagine this. Okay, imagine that now you're a runner. There's a lot of running uh, illustrations today. I don't know why. But imagine that you are the runner. Ladies, this will be easy for you. Guys, a little more difficult, so really use your imagination. You're a runner. You have a, you have a long sleeveless uh, garment underneath that goes past your knees, and then you have a, another garment over that uh, that goes all the way to your angles, ankles, and now imagine that you have to run a race. Okay, you will soon find that you won't be able to get full stride. And if you don't do anything with that, you're going to get tangled up, caught up. Some serious injury is going to happen, and you're probably not going to win that race. So they would grab this garment, and they would pull it up and tuck it, the loose ends, into their belt to keep them from getting tangled up and tripped up. I've been to a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. I've been to graduations. And there's always a rehearsal. There's a wedding rehearsal. There's a graduation rehearsal. And the one thing that, that I've noticed that they don't take into account is the wedding gown. They don't take, the, the girls don't take into account their dress. And the, the bride isn't thinking about the gown, walking up these stairs, walking in certain places. And I've seen many brides stumble. I've seen bridesmaids trip. I've seen, I've actually seen some fall. It's, it's because we're not... Well, you would never say this to a bridesmaid or a hey, gird up your loins. You, would, you just wouldn't say that. But it's because we don't take into account there's a garment that is, is in our way. There's loose ends. There's, there's things that are tripping you up. And Peter isn't talking about a physical garment here. He's talking about the mind. He's talking about girding up the mind, like tying up the loose ends of your mind that exist in there, the loose things that are, that are giving you false information or giving you or causing you to fantasize or causing you to, and he's saying tie up those loose ends. Connecting the, correct the areas of your mind that we know are wrong thinking and remove them by the authority and the power of his word. See, if if we want to be successful in our spiritual life and we want to walk with God, then we must deal with the loose ends in our thinking that haven't been submitted or surrendered to him. We've got to tie those things up. We've got to, we've got to not allow our mind to control us, but we have to control what we think about. We have to control about what we're allowing into our minds. And that doesn't mean we can stop everything, but when we know we have bad thinking, when we have f- uh, false thinking, lies, or things that we know are contrary to God's word, we need to cut those things off. We need to tie them up and say, no, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm tying up those ends. I'm preparing my mind for action. See, if we deliberately allow wrong thinking and wrong believing to continue in our lives, we're making this the same kind of mistake that a runner does who deliberately lets his garment fall down and allows him to trip himself up. And Peter's telling us, Tight, tighten up those areas of your mind. Tighten up those areas because the devil will use them and grab a hold of them and use them against us. So tie them up. Prepare your mind. We're, get ready for action. There's some things that are coming that you need to be ready for. Get your mind ready. Then the second thing he says is this. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. A lot of, when we think of sober, we're thinking of alcohol, sobriety. And Peter's not, he's not talking about alcohol, although it's referenced. He's saying, look, I need you to be clear-minded because when you are clear-minded, the result is good judgment. Clear your mind. Here's the thing. Peter's concerned in his day. He's concerned about this, that the cares of the world, the pressures that are all around us, and the potential of persecution, those are the things that are going to distract our focus and easily 
as easily as alcohol does. Those are the things that are going to get in the way and keep you from looking ahead. So he's like, stay sober-minded. Stay clear-minded. Have clarity. We need to have clear judgment, a mind that's able to resist temptation, the temptations of the world, the things that will, will try to get our focus off of the hope of Jesus. And look, our world is fast-paced. It's full of social media. It's full of so many things that it's easily, easy to get distracted. It's easy to get our focus off of the hope of Jesus or the future because we're caught up in the right here, right now. And Peter and Jesus, this word is reminding us, guys, get your focus off right now in your circumstances. There's so much more coming. There's so much more that I have planned. Remember, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my bride. I'm coming back for those who are in relationship with me. Stay clear-minded, stay focused. Don't let your minds drink in the things that numb the heart and the mind to the things of God. Behavior scientists tell us that Our subconscious mind governs our actions. That our subconscious mind determines what we do. And we we know this is true. Proverbs 23, 7 uh, says this. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That what we think, what we think in our minds, the things that we put into our minds, determines our actions, what we'll do. Uh, I've said this to our teens for years. Garbage in, garbage out. Word in, word out. When, what, when WWJD bracelets were really popular, we made bracelets that said W-I-W-O. Word in, word out. Get the word of God in you. Get the truth of God in you. And that's what will come out of you. If we continue to fill our minds with garbage, look, it just begins to deteriorate us and we begin to act like that. We begin to act like that dark ugliness. And the Bible's reminding us, hey, get some good things in there. Put the truth of God's word in there. Keep your mind clear. The problem with drunkenness is that it distorts reality by making the mind insensitive to what is true and what is real and what is valuable. It just distorts. It's just like, it's just like it's al- that's what alcohol does, and that's why he's saying, be sober-minded. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't become dull. So know what your mind thinks. Get the word, the truth inside of you so that you can recognize the lies and you can stay sober-minded. Set your mind on the truth of God's word and get some things out of your mind because they're intoxicating. What are those intoxicating things? Pride. Pride gets our attention and our focus off of God, off of people, and onto ourself. He says, get rid of it. Get rid of greed. Get rid of jealousy. Get rid of anger. Get rid of uh, offense. Get rid of all of these things that will hold you back and keep you from doing what God's called you to do and to keep, from keeping you to be sober-minded. These are the things that work to numb the mind and dull it to the things of God. And sometimes we just, we hold on to the hurt because of the pain that it caused. So we hold on to it because we don't want to forgive because you hurt me bad. And we think, nope, I can't forgive. And we're reminded throughout the word of God, you guys, if you can't forgive, God can't forgive us. If you can't let go of that, then God can't give us freedom. I mean, Jesus hung on the cross and he's looking at those who put him there, who are making fun of him, who are spitting on him, who are doing all kinds of things to him. And he looks at them and he looks up at the the heavens and he says, Father, forgive them. If we can't forgive those that have hurt us, then we get desensitized and numb in our mind and we can't stay clear and we can't clear-minded or focused. Get rid of those things. 
It's easy. <laughs> it's just easy. I'm thinking about this this whole week. It's so easy to get desensitized. It's so easy to get numb to the things that are that are around us. It's so easy just to to just whatever. I'm tired of this, so I don't care anymore. It's so easy. Last April, uh, our family got the Ring doorbell. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's this doorbell, and it has a camera on it, and it's connected with your Wi-Fi, and, and I, can see, I can see my front yard and my backyard on my phone anytime I want. And this was really cool. It was fun because I could see when my packages were delivered, and if they rang the doorbell, I could actually talk to them from my phone and just say, hey, you can just put that package right there behind the snowman. And I, it was really cool. And the one thing that I really enjoyed was I could, there were no more surprise attacks from the Girl Scouts. Every single year, I answer the door. Oh, no. Okay, I'll take five boxes. Dang it. And then every year, now I can look at my phone and go, oh, no. Nope, not looking at it. Going downstairs. I'm not here. I'm not answering that door. Very fun at first. But what ended up happening was my notifications on my phone kept going off all the time. I mean, everything. I, I'd look at my phone. It's the neighbor's car. I, I'd pick up my phone. Another notification. Oh, it's the bus picking up kids. Oh, look at my phone. Oh, the garbage truck just picked up my trash. You know, it's all these things. Oh, the swans man just delivered our stuff. And I was finding, I was so distracted and I was getting so frustrated that guess what I ended up doing? I got desensitized to it. I just stopped, listening. I just stopped looking. I just left it there. It's like, ah. I would, and then I would end up turning the volume all the way down, and then it would vibrate. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to hear this anymore. And so I would just turn that off. And here's what happened. I started missing meetings. I wasn't answering text messages that I needed to answer. I wasn't getting emails. And so the things that I needed to be notified about, that I needed in my life, because I decided, I just became desensitized and just dull to it. I just stopped looking, and it started affecting everything in my life. This happens to us spiritually all the time. And the Holy Spirit is nudging us and he's reminding us, hey, don't say that. Hey, you you should be thinking that way. Hey, don't act that way. And if we're not careful, we can go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it. I know it, I'm just tired of it. And we we turn it off. And if if we're not careful and we turn it off, we're going to turn it off. We're going to stop hearing the voice of God. We're going to stop hearing, getting the wisdom that we need and the correction that we need and to to do what he's called us to do. We'll become calloused and dull to the things of God. And so Peter reminds us, be sober-minded. He does it again in in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Look, the enemy is on the prowl. He wants us to be... Uh, uh, dull and to desensitize ourselves to the voice of God so that he can come in and he can wreck our lives and he can destroy us and get our focus off of the future. So Peter says, be sober-minded and be prepared. Look ahead. And we're gonna look at looking back. I like glancing back better, but it says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. The first act of obedience is this. Don't look back. <laughs> don't go back. Don't go back to your former ways. Don't go back to the things that you were doing. The, to, to have a relationship with the Father, stop doing what you used, used to do. Ephesians, uh, I mean, Paul, Peter uses the term that Paul uses uh, several times. 
that he uses it in Romans 12 too, and he says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul uses it again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says it several times, you once were this. This is how you once were, and he's reminding us, don't go back there. Don't go back to that. That's what you used to be. That's what you used to do. There were things that you used to do that you should no longer do. There were people that you used to hang out with that, you, that had a bad influence on you. You need to stop hanging around those people. There were websites that you used to visit you should no longer go to. There are movies that you used to like and music that you used to listen to and places you used to go and things that you used to do that you should now distance yourself from. Why? Because your mind has been cleared and you're prepared for battle and there's a hope and a future. There's something else that is calling you, that, is, that is, you've been prepared for, look there. Say no to your past and say yes to your father. See, we're spirit, soul, and body. And whichever one you feed the most will dominate your flesh. Fill your spirit with the things of God so that you walk by the spirit. Fill your spirit. Feed it constantly. And the more you feed it, the hungrier it'll get. This, I just feel like this is the thing that God has been doing, not just in me, but I feel this strongly in me, but I feel it also in our staff, that, that he's called us in this time just to f- continue to feed, continue to take in, continue to feed the Spirit because I'm calling you to go deeper, and I'm calling you not to go back to things as, as you used to do. I'm calling you not to go back to normal. I'm call, calling you to go forward. Feed your Spirit so we're no longer looking back. And the last point is looking up. Called to be holy. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The Bible reminds us over and over and over and over again. There should be a distinct line between the follower of Christ and a not yet follower of Christ. That there should be a distinct line Difference between the world and those who Peter is calling elect exiles. To those who are, who are believers, who are following God or following his word, there should be a, 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 a distinction that is so obvious that people notice and go, something's different. They don't act like everybody else. They don't look like everybody else. They're not, uh, they're not deterred by what's going on like everybody else. He's... That means that our thoughts and, and it means that our actions, it means that our words, it means that our behaviors should be noticeably different. We should look like Jesus. We should look like him. To be, to be holy means to be set apart. And that means that we're not living like the world, we're not thinking like the world, we're not doing what the world is doing. Yeah, we're gonna get made fun of. Yeah, people are gonna ridicule us. But that's why, that's why Peter, just a few verses before this says, persecution is going to come. They're feeling that. In, in the places that he sent this letter, they're feeling it at that moment. Some of you are feeling it in this moment. That's going to happen. But, but live differently. Don't, don't live like the world. Be different. 
Holiness is a decision of our will. It's what we choose to do with our life. It's your conduct. Living according to God's design and desire. It's living in the plans and the purpose that he's created for you. Holiness is doing those things that please him and doing them because you love him. It's relational. This is why Peter is so, is so um, excited about this because he knows what it's like to be with Jesus and he's telling them, hey guys, this is about your relationship with the Holy One. This is about your relationship with Jesus and the product, the product that comes from being with Jesus is holiness. It just happens. It's what you do with your time and your actions. It's living to please God that bears fruit. Someone said that holiness is fruit, not the root. Living, holy, uh, living a holy life is not the way to God. It's the result of a changed life. It's a product of salvation. It's what happens to us. We always talk about this. It's what something happens on the inside. We have a statement on our, our building. It's come as you are. It's come just as you are. Let God work on the inside and he'll change what he needs to change. We're not concerned about that. But come in as you are and let the Holy Spirit change you on the inside. And guess what? The fruit of that is holiness. Let God do in the inside of you and what comes out of you is, and around you is holiness. You don't live a holy life to get God to love you. He already loves you. You don't, live a ho- you don't live holy to get saved or to get God to move. You live holy because you're motivated by a relationship with and a love for your heavenly father. And Peter knows this better than anybody. Peter knows it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't matter if you've rejected him. It doesn't matter if, if you, you said stupid things and did stupid things and you just ignored God, you ignored his voice. He, Peter knows it doesn't matter. Jesus still loves you. He loves you and his desire for you is he wants to see you live your life disconnected from the world, to flee from temptation, obey God's word, and then you live a life that is pleasing to him and you'll be holy. Peter is like, guys, holiness is what comes from being with him and he just wants to be with you and the way that you are with God as you make time to be with him. He says, come near to me and I will come near to you. Holiness will be a part of our lifestyle because we're spending it with God. I've mentioned this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. I've been, I've been reading a lot of Mark. I've been studying and meditating on Mark and I have no idea what started that and I don't, it doesn't matter. I've just been reading it slowly and just, and, and just crazy. And I'm, I'm in chapter two um, a while back, and I'm just blown away. I stop, and I'm just meditating, on it and I'm thinking, man, they hate Jesus, and they're planning to kill him already. He's hardly started ministry. They're planning to kill, how they can kill him already, and they're mad because of this. He loves his father, and he loves people. He, they're, they're mad at him because he's sitting with sinners and he's loving on them, and he's changing their life, and the religious people are unhappy with it, and so they want to get rid of him. And I I wrote in my journal, God, I want to be guilty of loving you and loving people. I want to be guilty. I I want people to look and say, yep, he's guilty. He loves, he loves God, and he loves these misfits. He loves these people that are unloved. That's the fruit of holiness. That's what comes out when we spend time with Jesus. And Peter's saying, guys, prepare.
prepare your hearts and your minds for action. Stay alert. Fix your hope firmly on the marvelous grace that is coming to you. For when Jesus Christ is unveiled, a greater measure of grace will be released to you. As God's obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For Scripture says, you are holy because I am holy. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your abundant grace. You continually pour on each one of us every single day. And you said that you're going away and you're preparing a place for us. A place its value is uncountable. It's amazing. And you said that we're going to experience some hardships and some persecutions, but there is great joy in the living hope, in the God of hope, in the future, that you are going to return and you're coming back for your bride. God, let us be ready. Let our attention be on you. God, would you help us to hope fully on you, to prepare our minds and to be sober-minded. Would you help us, Lord God, not to return back to what we once were, but God, would you help us to sit in your lap and to to invite you into our lives and invite you into our homes and invite you into our workplace. Would you transform us so that we would be holy, so that there would be a clear distinction between us and the world. God, thank you for loving us. And I just wanna, I just wanna say this. If you're, if you're listening this morning and you feel like you have loose ends in your mind that you need, need to do with, deal with, do it right now. If, you, if there are things in your life that you have desensitized yourself to the, the word of God and the voice of God, and he's revealed that to you this morning, would you invite him to come in and to give you all, uh, ears to hear and a heart to receive that he would take out the stony, hard, calloused, numb heart and replace it with a heart of flesh that feels and hears and sees again. If we're able to admit our weakness in the battle against sin, then we're in a great place. This morning, I want to invite everyone, if you need prayer for anything, just to click that link at the bottom of your screen. We have our ministry teams that are waiting to pray for you. I just want to encourage all of you, read through this book. Invite God to show you the things in your life that he wants you to do. And I ask that you would prepare your hearts and prepare your mind and to be with the God of hope. And he'll transform your life. In Jesus' name.